Hey, welcome to Noel 24-7's On the Bench podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, joined by Christopher Nee. Chris, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you miss my face? Mm, three. Oh, so you kind of miss it. Like, it's not zero. Right, or one, I guess. That's good. One one other hard-hitting question for you. You ready? Yeah. This may get, this, this, this may get you in trouble, just as a, as a fair warning. Uh, when, when you go on road trips, which you do you know, fairly often with the family, do you let Caressa drive? Uh, yeah, here and there. I mean, when we went up to the ACC kickoff, uh, Caressa and the boys went with me. She helped drive up there a little bit. But for the most part, I'm usually the one that handles most of the driving. Even though I'm not a very good driver, I'll admit <laughs> that as quick as anybody. Oh, you admit it. That's sweet. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was giving a little bit of crap for uh, letting my wife, uh, let my wife drive me back from St. Augustine the other day. So I think it's a pretty cool thing yeah. to have, to have the missus show for you around uh, on occasion. But I, I, I guess that was, uh, I guess I lost my man card for that. Apparently anyways, people, I probably, I probably, hand, I probably handle 85% of driving when it's me and her, but once I'm blue moon, you know, if my knee's hurting or I'm just, dog ass tired i'll let her drive usually that's what i'm saying too you do most of it for, for the audience chris and i both have fragile knees uh his pop in and out of place all the time ironic given his last name is knee and uh and yeah i have a little arthritis in my right one from a football injury so you know back off <laughs> all right so you were up in charlotte for the acc kickoff i was not able to make it thank you for covering it chris i, I want to go over some of the the notes, the quotes, the anecdotes from ACC kickoff in this week's episode, because I think there were some some interesting tidbits here and there from Willie Taggart and some of the players who were up there talking. And, and additionally, I want to talk a little bit about some some weight gains this offseason. I think I think people like hearing about that. And I do think there is something to the updated roster. I, I don't think it's the end all be all. We obviously need to see how the guys look with the added weight, see how accurate that is, where you put on the weight, that kind of stuff. But but it is interesting to see uh, some sizable gains, probably more so than than some other years. And then, and then finally, we'll uh, we'll do a little bit of a preview, uh, just a, just a, just a tease of Saturday Night Live. Uh, we'll have a podcast later this week uh, with Josh on it as well to kind of go over the Saturday Night Live and the whole lineup. And once we get more names confirmed, we're recording this on on Monday. There will be a lot more information and names confirmed. Uh, today's Tuesday. Yeah, that's all day. Sweet Jesus. Um been been that kind of kind of off season for me. I don't know what dates are, but uh, but anyways, it doesn't matter. We'll be we'll be doing this in a couple of days anyways, and uh, and yeah, we'll have one other podcast with Josh as well. So this is the first of three podcasts this week. I know we've been a little bit slow with the podcast this off season, starting to ramp back up because football season's right around the corner. Chris, let's start off with quarterback talk. Willie Taggart was asked a couple times about the quarterback position. James Blackman, Alex Hornerbrook. Basically said there's going to be a competition. I'm going to pause for audio real quick uh, so we can we can put Willie's uh, actual voice to proper context here with what he said. He was asked a few questions about it, and then I want to get your thoughts on it. So let's hear from Willie, and then, Chris, I'll kick it to you. Is he your starting quarterback, or is it a complete comp- like full competition? Well, it's a competition. I mean, he's, he's the starting quarterback. He's been starting in the spring, and the understanding he's going to go in once, but those guys are going to compete. They're going to get the reps. <laughs> And the best man gonna win the job. Coach, is Black just like you were facing that way, and I mm-hmm. wasn't sure. Black is Blackman. You said right now, number one Black quarterback. Will, Blackman <laughs> will go out with the starters. He's been here in the spring. He understands offense, and 
and uh, they'll both guys will get reps with the starters, and um, they, they're going to compete for the job, and, and uh, the best man going to win. Well, it was funny. When he said what he said, he was asked a couple times about this subject because a couple of people couldn't hear him, but they were on his right side because he was talking to his left side. So he had to reiterate the point. It was clear that he views Blackman as the number one going into camp, that Blackman has earned the right to start with the starters in preseason camp. Some people ran with that and said that Blackman's a starter. That's not quite the context. The context was that Blackman is number one. Hornibrook is his competitor. There will be a competition, and a starter for Boise will be named at a later date. Now, do I think there's a real hard-felt competition, like one of those years where you go in and you, you couldn't put real good odds on either guy being the favorite? No. I think Blackman's a favorite and by a heavy amount. But it's a matter of, one, when he bought, bought into your program, you got to give him a fair chance. And, two, you want to mo- motivate both guys. It's a mutually beneficial thing for Hornibrook to want to adapt himself to the system quickly, learn the players, learn the system. For Blackman, it's about simply having competition to push him to be the starter. But I would bet my mortgage on James Blackman being the starter if healthy against Oregon State. Yeah, I would too. I would, I would put like a what ninety five percent is what I put on message board this morning that I think it's it's a almost a guarantee that James Blackman, as long as he makes it through camp healthy, is a starter. You think ninety five percent is safe? I kind of snicker at the word competition because I don't really think it is. But I think in the sense of the way Willie talked about it is that he wants both guys to be heavily involved, getting reps with the one competing for someone to eventually be named the official starter. Well, and it is a competition in the sense that like, yeah, you said this, Chris, that, that there are reps being split. I don't think it's going to be a 50, 50 split, but you have a finite amount of, of reps to install an offense. It's not a completely new offense, but it is still a new offense with a new offensive coordinator. You have limited time to get what was a really, really subpar offense on track for this season. This is a really big year for Willie Taggart. And so you're taking some of that, that, that finite amount of time and, and applying it to Alex Hornerbrook. Like it is a competition. It's not, I, I don't think it's a wide open one. I think James Blackman has the the leg going into it. As you said, Chris, like he, he's been here longer. He has the respect of teammates. I think he's a better fit for the offense. And what Kendall Bryles wants to do than Alex Hornerbrook is, although Willie Taggart is, has said multiple times that he doesn't think that, the scheme dictates to one type of quarterback or another, uh, but and not that James Blackman's all super mobile, but I think he's, he's been a little bit more mobile in, in what we've seen than, than Alex Hornerbrook uh, in his career at Wisconsin. But, but with all that being said, uh, this is James Blackman's job to lose. I, I agree with you uh, in that sense. And I, I do think what makes this interesting from the quote unquote competition standpoint is how does James Blackman handle any sort of competition. Do you remember last year, Chris, like James Blackman, and it was different, but it was with, you know, Bailey Hawkman and then DeAndre Francois who won the job. Blackman struggled in the first couple of days at camp and really set himself behind. He dug himself in a hole. Uh, and, and I think he came out too juiced, kind of nervous, uh, kind of frantic almost at the first few days of camp. And I, and I think that's what Willie Taggart wants to see is, is how Blackman does with someone pushing him again. Yeah, and you always want that. That's the natural order of a quarterback room. You want there to be a competition. I mean, look at Clemson. Trevor Lawrence is clearly their starter. But they want them to have a number two to simply make a guy a little uncomfortable when things aren't going well. And I do agree with you on the Blackman. Last year started poorly, you know, handled competition. I think Blackman's come a long way, both physically and mentally. 
from that. And I think last year taught Blackman a lot of lessons. I didn't like Blackman sitting last year, especially late in the year when it was clear that Francois was not leading this team anywhere. But at the same time, Willie references that kickoff that having Blackman on the bench taught him to view the game in a different way, taught him to understand things differently, taught him how to understand how this team operates a little bit differently. I think all those things are beneficial. And I think James is the kind of guy that takes advantage of such a situation instead of simply, you know, hanging his head on his shoulder and being unhappy. Yeah. James isn't one to, to pout or to sulk. Like that's not really his, his MO. And I think that has, has gained him a lot of respect from teammates over the years uh, and especially this past season. And, and now this off season, uh, I think that helps him out again. I, I think Chris, you and I are on the same page. Uh, James Blackman, almost assuredly is going to be the starting quarterback against Boise state, unless there's some sort of injury or just some unforeseen implosion on his end. I I think he has learned and grown from what we've seen a year ago when he was still really kind of, uh, I don't want to say unsure of himself, but this was someone who was coming off of a, of being thrown in the fire from his true freshman season. Then all of a sudden he's going into a competition with, with DeAndre Francois, who was the starter before him. It, It was a difficult situation. I think that helps out ultimately Uh, switching kind of gears here. Quarterback talk real quick. Jordan Travis, (laughs) that was, that was asked about at the ACC kickoff as well. Uh, Basically still no word from FSU's end, at least no official word. I've gotten the indication that they had some negative feedback there. They're not really optimistic at this point, but I don't know if there's been an hundred percent ruling on it yet. At this point, Chris, are we just assuming Jordan Travis won't get the waiver? I mean, it, it, it's been what, like six months. Yeah. I think that's a safe way to look at it right now. Waivers have been such a weird deal. This off season, some teams getting them so quickly for guys who probably were truthfully far more undeserving than Jordan Travis's case. Um, but the fact that it's taken this long, I think it's pretty safe bet that, you know, it's been a negative feedback type situation that they're waiting for finality, which means probably appeals and things of that sort before they actually issue any kind of statement. So they make sure, you know, the process is done instead of kind of saying, oh, they came back and said, no, we're not getting it. Now we're appealing just to create a whole not immediate storm. I think they would prefer to let the entire string play out before saying anything definitive about that. There's no way that a simple one single appeal has taken this long. There's more to this process than simply that, but they don't have a desire to comment on it. Correct. So that's it for quarterback position. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some comments that Willie Tiger had about the defense, but before we get into that, Chris, was there anything else that you thought was particularly interesting or noteworthy, whether it was Tamari and Terry talking Marvin Wilson or Willie Tiger on any of those guys, any other topics before we get to some of his comments on the, on the defensive scheme, which I thought was interesting. And I wrote about anything else on your end. I mean, there were a few other things that were kind of talked about at length. One was no playbook. It was kind of funny. A lot of people in the room, media-wise, were like shocked by this, which went with something that was talked a great deal about in the spring. Kind of shows those who covered the program and those who just act like they covered the program. Um, another thing was offensively, a lot of talk from Terry about just kind of trying to be a complete receiver, putting a lot of work in there. Really like working with Browse and Dugans. Willie talked a great deal about Bryles and Clements and synergy and how he believes that will help the offense a lot. Having two guys who understand each other and what they do so in depth and so well. Possible uh, story coming on that a, a little bit of a tease there. Possible yeah, story. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on that. Um, I'm working on that. That's a plan for this week. I was going to roll it out yesterday and then we ended up having quite a bit of SNL stuff. So I bumped it maybe today, maybe tomorrow. 
um, some good comments, nothing that will be shocking or surprising, but more so just kind of impassioned belief that those two hires were very much kneeled in this offseason. That will be a compared to some of the issues they dealt with last year with synergy between the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the O-line coach, and all three components of what goes with that. Um, defensively, Marv kind of just cheerleaded for the defense. He does believe they'll take a big leap forward. He believes they'll have a pass rush. Nobody's quite sure how to describe that's going to happen. You know, it's kind of a see-it-to-believe-it type thing, but he does believe the pass rush will be there, which he believes will enable the secondary to be very good. He believes very strongly in the secondary. He also spoke about how the linebacker group has improved a lot. A lot of praise for some young guys on that side of ball. Keen Dench, Lil McCray were a couple names I recall being mentioned. Just that they kind of have some of the dogs they need on that side of ball to go hunt and do what they need to do as a defense. Marv is a guy who, and you brought this story idea up to me before the event, he's had a three-year plan to come into FSU, execute, head to the next level, cash in and be the great player he can be in the NFL potentially. He believes that, you know, while there's been some bumps in roads and things that were unexpected when he walked through the door from Houston to Tallahassee, that he's still online for that. And I certainly would say from a physical standpoint, he is. He's putting a great deal of work. He looks like a million bucks, best he's ever looked in an FSU uniform. But he, he certainly comes off as a guy whose focus is not on the NFL, but on helping this team maximize their potential this year. And I believe if he does that, it will take care of what he wants to be done for heading to the NFL. These were a couple of things from an FSU perspective. I hung out in the room a little bit with some other teams, nothing really needle moving. Um, there was some talk with other teams about like their perception of FSU. You got kind of a mixed array. Some guys had canned quotes. Some guys were a little more honest about what FSU is right now, which is a team that's in a transition who struggled mightily last year and isn't quite sure if they'll be back to what they once were a prominent university. They once were, uh, and from a other team perspective, I really like Scott Satterfield. I knew that walking in the door. I thought highly of him before he ever got to FSU, or I'm sorry, Louisville, um, in the ACC. But he just he comes off as the kind of guy that's such a departure from Petrino that I think he'll do well at Louisville in his own way, and it'll be you know very different than how it was run there previous to him. Not going to happen this year. Louisville's probably going to be bottom feeder in the Atlantic Division. I think Satterfield can be very good long-term there. I think he's an upgrade overall as a coach. While Petrino is a great quarterbacks coach and has an eye for talent, what he does ultimately blows up because of the kind of people and he recruits and the way he manages them. I think it's very different with Satterfield. I think he's a guy that can sustain success a little bit more there. And I thought the biggest buzz in the room, beyond obviously Clemson, everybody knows Clemson is elite and going to be great, with Syracuse kind of can they sustain success and become – very good under Dino. Can this be year two of that climb up the hill, up the mountain where they can be really, really good? A couple years ago, they went, I believe it was four and eight, but they showed signs of being good and they cashed in on that last year. Can they continue that trend? And then Virginia, you know, six teams have won the coastal in the last six years. Virginia is the only one not to win in that stretch. This is kind of thought to be their year. They got more than half of the votes from the media there. Or I'm sorry, got just shy of half of the votes from the media there to win the Coastal. They're the number one pick. I think a lot of people kind of feel like they have a chance. You know, talented athletic quarterback talent in the secondary. Some really big producers returning on the offense. It, it seemed like Virginia in a division that it's always tough to pick the team. Most people felt like Virginia, if they weren't the team, they were going to be in contention to be the team. So 
that was kind of some of the buzz in the room. And then Swafford, ACC Commissioner John Swafford, of course, spoke. His uh, monologue mostly pertained to the ACC network with some unveils there. A lot of noise on Twitter about the uh, creative unveiling that did not include FSU, which is just par for the course at this point. I'm tired of complaining about the ACC shortchanging FSU <laughs> for building them into the power that they are. But that happened. And, you know, the ACC network stuff was interesting. But until they get more carriers and more distribution, they can't talk about dollars, and that's ultimately what matters about that network to FSU. That was um, – you know what, Chris? You're pretty good at your job. Has anyone ever told you that before? You just you just rattled off about like three minutes worth of, of interesting, informative content without taking a breath, and that's not easy to do. I commend you, sir. Because I have massive lungs. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. It's made me uncomfortable. Uh, let's talk about can we can we talk about something that I wrote about real quick and that's the uh, Willie Taggart talking about the defense and he was asked about the scheme and the change that they kind of showed off in the spring which was somewhat of a three four look and he I don't have the quote right in front of me but he he more or less shot that down right like you were you were there he he didn't seem like all that yeah as long from Warchan asked him from the podium in the back of the room uh, about like the change I think he used the word change to the defense and Willie kind of went back at him and asked what change and you know he responded with more of a three four look changes up front with how you do stuff and Willie's like oh sort of along the lines of we haven't changed it we're just multiple and we're doing more things but yeah every time you talk to somebody who's a recruit who's dealing with a defense you hear the mention of three four and even you know just using your two eyeballs and watching spring practices in the spring game there was a hell of a lot of three four so it's sort of like, uh, are we just are we playing dumb to it till it happens <laughs> in the game, or what's going on here? I mean, it, it's a weird deal. And, you know, Marvin was kind of vague on how they're going to brush the passer, even though he believes they will. And I asked him about the 3 4, and he talked about that element. But again, he said, we're multiple. And I expect FSU to be multiple, but they certainly worked a lot at 3 4 in the preseason. I think they believe that some of their talent that they currently have, as far as being able to maximize it fits more in a three, four than a four, three. So I certainly expect to see that element used a good bit. And truthfully, I think it may be used more than anything else we see in a multiple defense. Uh, a couple of thoughts on that. One, uh, you mentioned the personnel, Chris, and that's what Willie ultimately said, I believe was uh, that what they've experimented with was getting their best 11 on the field, finding a way to get players in a position uh, to, to be their best, uh, which is, you know, the main objective of, of coaching. Obviously I'm not saying anything revelatory, but, but to me, when, when you look at what FSU has on defense, remember like this group was recruited to play in that multiple type of hybrid scheme under the previous staff. Uh, and most of those guys still around were recruited with that in mind. Like Leonard Warner's a perfect example. He's someone that they eventually FSU wanted to eventually move onto the edge. Adonis Thomas was someone they wanted to play on the edge. And, and because FSU went with a very strict four-man traditional front last year, uh, and I guess you call it a 4-3 or 4-2-5, depending on how you define that, you know, that that star position. Um FSU essentially kept those guys in the middle. And we saw that that they were really uncomfortable at linebacker. There was one true inside linebacker in Dontavious Jackson. And other than that, it was kind of a revolving door. Uh, but secondly, Chris, I, I, I kind of thought about this as I was writing the story and, and looking through Willie's quotes. Uh, 
I think as media members specifically, and I think fans do this too, but, but we get so hung up on defining something as a, you know, a spread scheme or, and I'm guilty of this uh, as a four, three or three, four, or trying to, trying to, you know, peg something as exactly what it is when really, you know, football has changed in a way, especially like on defense where you're changing fronts and you're changing personnel so much to kind of mix and match in college, the different type of offenses you're facing in, in week to week uh, that, that maybe it's not fair to call it a three, four, cause you know, there's still going to be four down linemen. It's just that, that fourth one right. is more of a, a linebacker now. So do you call it a three, four, do you call it a four, three, do you call it multiple? I don't know. I think it just, it shows that they're willing to be a little bit different because they were doing something that was very traditional last year. Uh, now they're trying to do something that's a little bit more of a, I guess, quote unquote hybrid. I'm still, I'm still trying to define it as something. Ultimately, what I hope we see is that when you play Clemson, they go four or five wide on you. You're prepared to handle four to five really talented outside receivers. When you play BC and they pack the box and, you know, AJ Dillon's going to try to run it down your throat that they're lining up, trying to prepare to attack AJ Dillon and not worry about the perimeter. I don't really care three, four, four, three, what they call it. I want to see a defense that addresses how to stop or at least alter what the opposing offense is trying to do and maximize opportunities for turnovers. I think for FU, that's the most important thing. But at the end of the day, for me, the defense, it's kind of like your offense comes down to can the O-line block. For me, with the defense, it comes down to can they rush a passer. Right. You can have the most talented secondary in America, but if you can't get home to the passer and they have four, five, six seconds, they're going to pick your ass apart. It doesn't matter how good your secondary is. It's just the way football's played. Receivers, if they're given extra time, are going to beat a DB most of the time. It's about the DB having the ability to, you know, the quarterback had to rush this pass so I can go get it. That That's where the money is made. That's where the turnovers come from. And for FSU, it comes down to that. And I think back to the spring when we were having the three, four conversations and we were talking about a guy like Leonard Warner and some people around the program said, you know, he's arguably the best guy at getting after the quarterback. And he certainly from a skill standpoint, that is his greatest skill is coming off the edge and pressuring that fit the three, four look. So that's kind of how I view it. It's more about, I want to see how they maximize the guys they roll out there, the 11 to 22 guys that they truly rely upon on defense. I want to see how they maximize what they can do as a defense with those guys. I don't care if a guy's putting his hand in the dirt or standing up or it looks funky. If it works, it works. That's all I care about. I'm not going to obsess over them being, I don't want to see them always line up the same way and just believe this is going to work against team a and team B, even though team A and team B couldn't be more different than one another from an offensive team standpoint. I was kind of reflecting on this yesterday as I was starting to kind of plan my, um, my position preview series. And I was looking back at the defense, Chris, they changed so much from what they started with in the beginning of the year in terms of lineup and personnel from what they ended the year with. And and obviously the defense was gassed and, and not performing very well by the end of the year. And I think there's a ver- you know a variety of reasons why, but, but look at the cornerbacks. They had Levante Taylor and Kyle Myers outside to start the season that ends with Stanford Samuels and Asante Samuel jr. There at linebacker, what they rolled out. Was it, was it to Kalen Brooks as the starting linebacker next to Dontavious Jackson that ends the year with Leonard Warner uh, safety yeah. was obviously different. And so, so it kept changing with them. And, and I think that to me, it shows that the staff one, I guess you can say adaptability is a good thing. Uh, it, although the results at the end of the year weren't great. So you know, Jerry's still out there with, with this defensive staff, but two, I think more importantly, they're still trying to figure out a lot of things last year. And through the spring, they're still trying to figure out things about this defense 
commendable to keep trying to, to keep growing and figuring it out. But uh, it, it's still very much so a work in progress. And I guess I don't know how to feel whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I, mean, I yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that view at all. I think that it has been kind of a, you know, we were handed these pieces and some of them fit what we're trying to do and some of them don't. And it's been some trial and error. The issue is that the error has been grave at times. And, you know, you, you kind of hope that with every mistake you can kind of correct. And last year, a lot of those mistakes buried them in games. Um, whether it was not getting home to the quarterback if Brian Burns was unable to do so or just miscommunications in the secondary, leaving the middle of the field open or simply shortcomings at linebacker. Now, we certainly know they address shortcomings at linebacker. They're a better group at linebacker this year than they were last year. But, you know, on the flip side of that is, how did they get home to the quarterback with Brian Burns being gone? We didn't see that second guy elevate last year. And I don't know that any of us left the spring believing we knew who the next guy was. No, and you've you've mentioned that a couple times on the podcast, and I know we've written about it. I, I'm not sure that some people understand just how I know some do, but I think some people think that the FSU is just going to be fine and find ways, you know, scheme wise to get to the quarterback. Uh, for context, Brian Burns had 10 sacks last year. FSU had 28 total, and that's a that's a big chunk. That's a third of your production of getting to the quarterback and Burns was even more productive in, in terms of pressures and, and funneling things to other guys. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man, how you, how you replicate that in one year. Uh, you need Joshua Kando or Leonard Warner or someone outside to really step up in addition to Marvin Wilson elevating. And he was really good as an interior pass rusher last year. He has to go from, from good to elite in that, in that area. So you need a few things to, to really happen there. And I'm not, convinced that it does so that's kind of a big deal and that one pulls- guy one real quick on that one guy Merv did gush on that i didn't mention earlier in the pod was uh cory durden yeah, he loves Corey him some job again his body in really good shape and that he thinks they can be nice wrecking crewmates beside each other he definitely thinks Corey has i i, I think the question was basically has Corey durden done enough to become a more consistent guy with the flashes we saw from him last year he said oh yeah definitely he said physically he, he's pushed himself really hard this offseason to take a big leap forward, which I think is important for Corey. Corey has a good body, but a little bit of out of shape. Not out of shape. I don't want to use out of shape because that dude's not out of shape. But he he's toned himself up, and I think he's improved his conditioning from what was said. And he, I think he that could, would be he, important for him. He could redistribute his weight a little bit better. Uh, and he had worked really hard right. to do that last offseason, and it showed – uh, but, you know, redshirt sophomore now and, and still, you know, midway through his tenure at FSU, still a bit more work to do. Chris, that's a really good transition. Well, to our first, our, our commercial break. And then on the other side of that, let's talk about offseason gains, weight gains, weight losses, all the stuff that we love to dissect in July because there's a, not much else to talk about. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about weight. My weight gain this offseason has been pretty prolific. I think I've probably put on 10 pounds, a lot of stress eating. How about you, Chris? What's your uh, what's your body type like right now? I'm maintaining my outstanding physique. You, uh, you know... You're you're ever the the steady, consistent nose guard for for our uh, Knowles twenty four seven staff. You just you absorb. Too good to tackle, baby. Too good to tackle. <laughs> you absorb those double teams, but 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 strictly a, a nose guard. Like you're you're a a double uh, double block eater. I think um, I'm too frantic and and skittish, and my weight fluctuates too much to really be of any sort of value as a linebacker or safety. I'm a tweener. Let's let's leave it at that. So. Let's talk about the real athletes, the guys who have actually put in work this offseason to uh, change their bodies. And and again, this is kind of with a caveat of we have to see them in person. I know, Chris, you saw them at the uh, the lift for life and, and kind of had some some hints at, at who's looked really good and, and maybe who hasn't. But FSU released its roster before kickoff. And that means uh, we get to kind of see some, some notable gains. We were talking about Corey Durden this past segment. Uh, pulling up my my chart here of gains. Let's see. He went from 290 to 305. That is a 15 pound gain. That's impressive because Durden is someone who's stepping into, and that's that's one of the top four or five gain uh, gain leaders in the offseason for FSU. He's someone who's stepping into a starting role next to Marvin Wilson and someone who who was a really nice rotational player for FSU last year, but I think needs to add a little bit more bulk to be more than just that, that super kind of quick, long pass rusher. Now he needs to be more of a run stuff or two. And it looks like he's taking that step based on what Marv said. Correct. Yeah. And I, I think that weight is not simply putting on mass. It's also a matter of toning himself up, getting stronger, filling out the upper body and the arms, you know, improving what he needs to be as a guy who's going to line up and get dirty so often. again. Ooh, get dirty. All right. James Blackman up 14 pounds from 181 to 195. To me, that's the headline of the group. It's not the most weight gain, but I think by percentage of, of a starting point to end point, I haven't done the math, but no one else you know, on this list was really uh, that much lower than, than James Blackman. And most of the other big gainers that we're talking about were guys who are already you know, 290, 300 pounds. So uh, Blackman to go up 15 pounds or so, 14 pounds exactly. I think that's a big deal. Uh, mainly because it just shows commitment in the weight room and, and him being serious. And I think that helps out a little bit athletically with runs and, and you feel a little bit better with him. I think that's somewhat overblown. Uh, the, you know, people are afraid, oh, he's going to just break in half because he's a twig. Like he's, he's been healthy as a full-time starter before. Like I'm not super concerned about that aspect. I think it more shows that, that one, he's, he's taking this really seriously Two, he, he can't actually add weight. Uh, you've seen him recently, Chris. He actually looks a little bit more cut, right? Yeah, he, I mean, he's still skinny, but he's filled out very well. He looks differently than he walked in here. You can see the clear cut, you know, toning of the upper and the lower body with him. I, I've never, James has never been a guy that concerned me. He was always going to be skinny at the start, and he was always going to work at it. And at the end of the day, 
he'll probably barely break 200 pounds before he leaves FSU, but he's put in a great deal of work to improve his body structure. How about your boy Chaz Neal? Up a whopping 19 pounds from 286 yeah. to 305. Yeah. You're going to have to get a Chaz Neal tattoo on your butt next year, Leonard Hamilton one after he is an all ACC starter for three years in a row. Chaz looks good. Chaz has done a great deal of work to make himself into an offensive lineman from a physical body standpoint. And, you know, every time I talk to people about Chaz around the program, it's usually one, he's a little bit of a different bird compared to most, which we've all known. If you deal with Chaz, he's kind of that way, but two, he's bought in. He's completely committed to it. He's worked very hard in the weight room, very hard at the table to make sure he gets calories to build up his body and his size. And he's really taken to it. But on the flip side of that, my boy Coop dropped 32 pounds. Yeah. Which is hella good. Under yeah, Robert, Robert Cooper down. like a different man. That's Robert Cooper, for those who don't know who Coop is, 378 to 346. Good on him. Yeah. Yeah, he's put in the work. He had a plan. He still wants to drop down uh, 15 to 20, I think. I think he wants to be around 325 is what he would like to play at. So he's working towards it. But, man, to drop 32 pounds, even though – you know, he has so much at his disposal with nutrition and the weight training program and all that. And obviously it's kind of made where he can do it. You still got to go do it. And the fact that he's done it that well, is pretty impressive. And usually guys who come as statistic, the guys who come to, to campus uh, overweight have a high bust rate. And I think because that points to work ethic and, and not doing things correctly leading up to when, when you weren't in a structured regimen and kind of doing things on your own, uh, for Coop to come in and, and lose the weight, and he was productive as a true freshman. I think FSU expects really big things from him. Uh, that's really positive. That's kind of bucking a trend with other guys who who've come in, you know, overweight and needed to lose weight in the past. So one, really good on him. Two, that that points to I think high upside for him that, that he's taking this again really seriously. He's talking about guys buying in when we look at the weight gains and whatnot. I think that's maybe more important than then oh, how does it really change them as, as players this year? I think that's harder to quantify. I think it, it more shows that guys are, are seri- taking this really seriously, uh, and that's good for FSU because we've talked about this before on the podcast. The last few years, the program, uh, the, the weight room culture was not very good. And Willie talked about that in the offseason, but he talked about it even just, just on was on the last week, Chris. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he talked about guys just showing up a lot more and, and being a lot more diligent in the weight room throughout this offseason, yeah, hanging, right? hanging around the building type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Guys are just hanging around and they're there. They're either with a coach or they're training or they're just taking things seriously. They're, the buy-in rate is definitely much higher on this football team than it was 12 months ago. And certainly more than it was before Willie's arrival in those last couple of years where guys were cutting corners with regular. Now are there guys that are shortchanging themselves and not doing a great job? Yeah, there's some, but I think that rate is much lower than it has been in recent years. I, I remember last year, and I think we have to kind of protect ourselves when talking about the weight gains and, and losses and stuff, because it is something that, that fans want to hear about, Chris, but I, I, we can be overzealous and reading too much into it sometimes. And uh, just for context, like I remember last year, so, you know, it's, it's Willie Taggart's first spring guys came into spring practice, especially on the offensive line, looking like a million bucks, like just, just had shed weight, uh, looked really healthy and, and it was really refreshing to see. And then the off season came uh, and, and then all of a sudden fall camp starts and some of that bad weight was back on, especially again, some of the offensive linemen. Now, it wasn't everyone. That's, that's me being cookie cutter. Uh, but I remember seeing that and being disappointed by it and should have said something then. Um, but wasn't sure if like that was the body types they were trying to 
trying to get out of the guys, but you saw guys kind of slim down and then add bad, like midsection weight on the offensive line. Do you remember that? And I remember thinking that was just kind of weird that the guy seemed to buy in and then something happened in the off season that I couldn't quite make sense of. Yeah. There were guys that reverted back to their old selves, which was yeah. kind of an odd deal. I, one thing I was told, I, you know, I'm always asking about strength and conditioning with people around the program. Cause it's one of those things that's really tough to judge from the outside. You're not in the room watching how they do everything you don't really get talked to coach. Oh, so it's kind of a tough deal to judge, but in asking a few people, a lot of people that have been around now for both of these years have said that last year was so much about conditioning because they were going to go so much faster. That guys work so hard to shed weight, try to improve conditioning that maybe they neglected other things that they needed to do to be successful on the football field. Now the conditioning of the program as a whole is at a much higher level not maybe where it has to be, but where it needs to get to, it's working towards that. But the goal and the effort of strength and conditioning and improving and taking nutrition seriously have all drastically improved. And I think you see that. I think if you look at some of those freshman guys, you know, Malcolm Ray, for example, is a good example. He's your biggest gain of the freshman. He's up 25 pounds to 272. They yeah. recruit him as a likely a strong side defensive end who can play D tackle, who will end up being a D tackle long term his body is certainly transitioning that way. And then on the flip side, that's Quayshawn Fuller, who they want as a DN and not a D tackle. He shows up at a D tackle weight of 281, got here in May a little bit before some of his classmates. He's down 14 pounds to 267. It looks good. It looks good too. Yeah. I saw him. Yeah. He looks much more trim. Quayshawn looks a lot more like he did when he was a top tier recruit before shoulder surgery Mm -hmm. than what he was looking like at the end of his high school career when he was starting to get a little heavy. And Dante Lucas is another guy. We talked plenty about Dante and how he's tried to work really hard at losing weight. He shows up at 323 in much better shape than he was 12 months prior. He's dropped about eight pounds since he showed up. Good sign for him. He's a guy that keeps putting in the work. So I think if the question is, is the strength and conditioning program working, I think in general the answer is yes. It it seems to to look that way. Again, I think we kind of reserve judgment until the first week of fall camp maybe. Uh, to see exactly how, how it looks. But again, you got Chris, you got kind of the sneak peek of it uh, like a week or two ago at, at the lift for life. And remember you said Chaz Neal was a guy and that's someone who, who again, we've consistently heard this off season is looking, looking really good. He's putting in the work. I, I think he may actually end up. No, I don't want, I, some people are assuming he's going to be just a plug and play guy and be good just because he's putting in work. I do think he's going to end up playing this year and may end up starting by the end of it. Like, I don't think that's far-fetched. Do you think that's far-fetched? I don't think that's far-fetched. I'm very interested to see when the bullets start flying, how he handles it the first time, which I don't think will be very well. I think he'll struggle, especially if he's going against a high-quality defensive end. But I'm more interested to see how he handles it the second time after having that opportunity. Because there's been plenty of guys that we've seen in their career kind of go out there. I mean, Rodney Hudson comes to mind. Rodney Hudson early in his career had a game. He flat out froze out there. That dude was an all pro in the NFL for multiple years and definitely recovered from that moment. It was much better for it. But then on the flip side, you see a guy like Jawan Williams, who was first time out there, got whooped. And really, I don't know if he's ever recovered from it to this point in time. So can, can we talk me, about Jawan Williams? How's Chad? Can we, can we talk about Jawan? Can we talk about Jawan Williams real quick? I, I, I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on, on him. Cause you got to see him at the, at the lift for life. Uh, he put on 15 pounds. Um, yeah, he was, it, more, was it good, but 
but but to you is John Williams issue physicality or is it a willingness to be physical? For me, it's a willingness to be physical. He's scared to put his hands on the opposing guy. Right. He's, I, he's I, thinking more than he's playing. I like for me, I don't think I, it, he needed to continue to improve physically, like all football players want to. But his issues weren't that he was getting overpowered. It was that he was doing nothing to prove to be opposition for the defender coming towards him. Like I. I'm not ready to buy in on Jawan Williams at all until I see him actually put his hands on somebody and handle a second move. Right. I, I agree with you there that the issues were much more mental and, and confidence and attitude than they were physical uh, last year. I think we all saw that. I mean, him just getting in and, and false starting. Heck, the poor guy was false starting during warmups last year, like during not, not, not full team warmups, but just when the offensive line goes to the side before games, like he was jumping off sides before then. Uh, when I don't even think there were defenders over him. So yeah, there, there was a lot of issues that he had, I guess though, for the context of, of trying to look at this, like a little optimistically, uh, he's someone that dealt with multiple shoulder issues, or I think it's the same shoulder issue for multiple years to the point where they weren't really sure. Like FSU wasn't really sure if he was going to be someone that would be able to take snaps for them again, going into last year and even being thrown into the starting lineup. I just, I guess when you see that 15 pound weight gain and if it's distributed, well, I think that means that he's healthy for a full off season for the first time. And, and I don't, I guess I don't know how to quantify that other than the weight gain, but I think it means something like, I think to be healthy, to be able to have a full year of off season weight and conditioning that doesn't hurt. And if you're looking at maybe like turning things around from what you said, Chris, from, from not willing to be physical, from not having much confidence in yourself, of not really understanding the, the intricacies of, of how to play offensive line. Like this is the beginning step of it, at least. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with your view on that. I just need to see him do something before I can. I, Juwan Williams is one of those guys that sort of is on the list of guys that I kind of hope I never have to watch again play for them because they find a better option. So maybe Would he can you, prove me wrong, go out there and do something. I do expect to see him. I do. As of right now, I think he would start against Boise. That, that's what I think, too. Like, again, going back to the chat, Neil, and I apologize for, for cutting you off. But I, I did want to get into Juwan Williams. That was the guy I had on my list here to talk about. But uh, people, I think a lot of our readers will assume that and I've seen this a, a few times in different posts in the last couple of weeks because Chaz has made good growth in the offseason that just throw him into the fire and, and see what he does now. Uh, we saw the, uh, like you said, we saw the the other side of that coin with Jawan Williams. When you get thrown into the fire and you're not ready, what can happen? I, I'd be hesitant to to peg Chaz as a starter unless he just has a awesome awesome fall camp. Right now, my guess is Jawan Williams is a starter at left tackle or right tackle. One of the ta- I assume left tackle and, and Ryan Roberts on the right side. And it sounds like you kind of think the same. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And some of it is you don't want to damage a guy and then have to build him back up. You've got to yeah. be able to kind of slowly transition him into that. And I think Chaz is the one you have weight in the wings if things go bad with Juwan again. But if Juwan's serviceable in preseason practice and you believe he can do it, I think you roll out, roll him out there against Boise with a short leash. Yeah, yeah, with a short leash as soon as those things implode. And I don't know if that works well for for him given some of the the fragile state that we saw last year with Juwan, at least mentally. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the only way you can uh, you kind of can approach playing in this season is you have to be ready to kind of kind of pull the plug, excuse me, pull the plug and go with someone else uh, if if you see the, an implosion because that obviously 
can't happen again this this year. You can't kind of keep sticking with him if he's showing he's he's not reliable. This is I think a kind of the last stand for for Jawan in that sense because you have someone in Chaz Neal who's at least showing promise and, and trending in the right direction. Sticking with the offensive line, uh, a few more gains I think of note, and I think dissecting them a little bit makes sense to to see whether it's good weight or bad weight. Brady Scott up 11 pounds to 312. Uh, let's see. We got, oh, baby on Johnson up 10 pounds, 295 to 305. That's another guy who, you know, healthy for a full off season for the first time in a really long time. That's I think encouraging. And then Mike Arnold up from 328 to 340. That's 12 pounds. That to me, Chris seems not ideal. That last one I mentioned, uh, 340 seems like it's too much, right? Yeah, Scott and Arnold are two guys I saw at Live for Life. I thought Scott looked really good, uh, kind of trim for a big body guy. Arnold to me still looked like the same old Arnold, kind of, you know, just nothing explosive, nothing about him. I I don't know. Mike Arnold is another one of those guys, kind of like Juwan Williams for me, where I just need to see more out of him to buy back in on believing he can be serviceable and a piece of this offensive line that helps him progress and move forward. I'm with you. Um, one other one, Chris, and I guess we'd go to some Saturday Night Live talk real quick. Uh, Emmett Rice going up to 12 pounds to 220. I didn't know if we'd ever yep. see it. I, I thought that was a sneaky good. Uh, I think I think that was one of the sneakier uh, positives of the weight gain uh, club for FSU uh, was was him getting up to, to that weight. Uh, if he's carrying it well, that's someone who has the ability to be a uh, an impact player, at least a steady starter at linebacker next to Dontavious Jackson. Yeah. He likes playing like a missile and being a little bit bigger of a missile is a good thing. He looked good at lift for life. I thought Amari Gaynor was still fairly thin. Also was a guy that you could see some noticeable body changes with from the strength and conditioning program. He's still very thin, very, those legs are really thin. I don't think Amari's ever going to be a really thick guy in the lower base, but he, uh, he was a guy that I noticed definitely had been putting in the work getting after it all right and okay i i lied real quick with the losses uh you mentioned cooper malcolm lamar loses 18 pounds we saw a picture from this offseason looked completely transformed i uh, lost a lot of that midsection weight that he came to fsu with i think that's overall a really good thing and, and kind of gives some clarity to like all right was he gonna be a defensive tackle defensive end uh, at 277 and more you know looking like he's carrying his weight a lot better i think okay defensive end probably although well, we, we've heard some buzz about maybe moving to offensive tackle, though he's certainly not listed as that just now. So uh, still defensive end at this time. And then two other guys I want to get your thoughts on, Chris. Dennis Briggs down 11 pounds to 268. Again, someone else who I think solidifies himself as more of an edge defender, uh, regardless of whether we're running a 3-4 or 4-3. And then uh, and then Jalen Goss loses three pounds, and, and people are uh, slamming their heads into their, their keyboards when they read that, I'm sure. Uh, wondering if he is indeed a vegan or not. Uh, with Lamar, I think there's some in the program who would like to see him try offensive tackle. I don't think that's in his playbook right now where he wants to do that. He does look better physically. I still wonder how he'll work at defensive end. I want to see him kind of move with that new weight, but he was visibly more spelt at a, at list of life. It was, I, didn't, you know, I didn't know who he was. You, you had a picture of him, Chris, yeah. and I was trying to use it for, for one of the stories. And I didn't know who the dude was at first. Like I had to go and do a double take and look at him from his recruiting profile two years ago to, to confirm that's who it was very different. 
He just he just has those wide shoulders, long arms. He kind of has that offensive and tactical body look, and I think that's why some people are kind of clamoring to see that combined with FSU's issues at that position. Uh, Goff is still skinny as they come. I, I'm interested to see if his strength has improved despite not more girth. If he can handle a little more strength, he'll be fine. He's a guy that I think can play thin as long as he can handle it from a strength department. But that's, but does he eat uh, tofu? Is he a vegan? I, I don't know, man. I've never broken bread with the dude. One, one day when we talk to Jalen Goss again, who we haven't talked to in over 12 months, I will ask him. Someone wanted me to just text him and ask him if he was a vegan. I'm like, this is not how this works. <laughs> I will ask him if he goes to Subway and orders the veggie sub without bread. I did that. Awesome. It's called a salad. You, you'd um, be, be surprised by this, Chris. I was uh, I was a vegetarian for, for two months in college and a, a vegan for one month, too. Why did you hate yourself so much? I was in a bad place, dating a girl. Dating a girl. Uh, doing it for a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then who, who was our third guy here uh, we were chatting about? Dennis, Dennis Briggs down 11 pounds. Yeah, Dennis looks good. Uh, Dennis is one of those self-motivated guys, kind of in that category of like a Dante Lucas type, who I, I don't I don't worry about him. Like he, He's going to do what he needs to do to maximize his ability. And I think for him, dropping a few pounds was just about trimming up and getting a little quicker so he can get into the backfield a little bit quicker. He's an edge setter. There's going to be times where he needs to pressure lock it, and I think that's what that was all about for him. But Dennis is a guy that I feel like is uh, ahead of schedule in comparison to a lot of guys in his class. Chris, remember when we started the podcast before we started recording, I said we only keep it 20 minutes? Yeah, your your time estimations are awful. It's kind of like when my wife says, "Oh, we just can go in the store. It'll only be five minutes," and suddenly it goes from nine a.m. to noon. So, congrats, <laughs> I, just like my wife. I, I'm uh, I am your work wife. Um, I'm awful at that. I get in trouble all the time. Uh, it's one of the few things that I'm in my relationship that I'm not really good with. With with Ashley, is I'll tell her like, "Oh, I'll be home." You know, and it's always work related. I'll tell her I'll be done and in an hour or something like that. And it turns into two and a half, three hours uh, regularly. So yeah, not, not my strength admittedly, Uh, but we will wrap this up and get you out of here so you can enjoy Orlando with the family. And then you and I will be reunited this week at Saturday night live. I know you guys don't need me there, but I like to be there to annoy everyone. So I plan to be there. Chris, you had two crystal balls, Chris to balls. (laughs) Cause your name's Chris. Uh, And recently one for Morvin Joseph, another one for God, Jerzon. Jerzan Newton. Call, to Florida just State. call him Johnny Newton. He, Johnny he calls Newton. himself Johnny Newton. You can oh. call him Johnny Newton too. And mama calls him Johnny. Um, on those. What was that to know? I was trying to make a bad coming to America reference. Go ahead. I actually was watching that the other night. I fell asleep. I love that movie. It's a classic. Um, it's a great. Truthfully, with both of those, those are ones I've meant to put in, and I've just been hesitant to do so. With Joseph, the moment he confirmed he's coming to Saturday Night Live, I went ahead and did it. I'm not convinced he commits to Saturday Night Live, but I certainly think that recruitment is trending in a positive direction towards Florida State. I think Tennessee is probably the biggest number two right now in that competition. He's a guy that FSU has talked a lot about 3-4 stuff, 3-4 elements changing the defense with. He fits some of what they want to do with a kind of a bigger body in the front. He can play multiple spots. So I think that's why they like him so much. And Johnny Newton's a guy that after they got Manny Rogers, I kind of felt was their next man up at the defensive tackle spot. 
He's a little bit undersized, but he's a kid that gets after. He works hard. I think Odell likes him a lot. And truthfully, some of the options for 2020 at D-tackle for them are kind of coming off the board with a guy like Timmy Smith going to Alabama. So I went ahead and put Johnny Newton in. I know he, at this point, among his top five, six that he has for his late August announcement, that FSU is certainly one of the top ones in that group. And I feel like this second visit in the last two months is going to go a long way to pushing FSU um, kind of in the driver's seat with a month left in his recruitment. It, real quick on Joseph, I don't know if – I think Josh and I talked about him on the podcast. I don't know if you spoke about him exactly or specifically, Chris. Uh, I, I really like Marvin Joseph. I liked his, his highlight I film. Do too. I, I think – I think his ranking as an industry is low, personally. I, I, not, I agree. You know, I try. I not. I try not to be that guy. Oh, he made that FSU. He should be ranked high. I'm not new bird bump. I'm not living that life. <laughs> bird bump. But I do think Joseph's a guy that is from a uh, from all the companies from a composite standpoint is a guy that probably should be a little bit higher than he really is. He's really we, productive. We have He's him very athletic, like and he can six, play multiple spots. We have him at six fifty, I think, or so nationally in that range. Twenty four seven does. Um, yeah. and that, yeah, that to me seems a little low, even if, if it was more consistent with this composite ranking, which is like in the mid four hundreds, you know, that would bump him to the top, probably top 300 player nationally, which seems more based on, on what you can see from, from his highlights. Like you said, Chris, he could do multiple things, productive player in high school. He had 8.5 sacks last year. Uh, and I think he fits that kind of hybrid type of you know, multiple type defender that FSU is, is starting to try to focus on now. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I like him too. I think he'd be a really nice get for FSU. It, it was someone when he de- decommitted from UF. I, I don't know if I've ever seen this before. US fan base was celebrating while FSU's was as well. I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever seen it both like relieved at it. I guess because that UF knew he wasn't totally on board for a while, and FSU knowing that him decommitting from UF shortly after a FSU visit was probably a good thing. But but it was split. Uh, with with very very diverse uh, reactions from from the two fan bases, but anyways, uh, with Saturn Live coming up on well Saturday, uh, we'll have a specific podcast to kind of go over uh, the narratives going into that that event, what to look for, maybe a commitment watch. Real quick though, Chris, before we do that in a couple of days, I want to get your thoughts on on just three names who we have confirmed as of right now, understanding that they could change three, the three biggest names, I guess, for, for whatever reason you think they're a big name that that's going to be on campus and, and competing on Saturday. Uh, Cade Renfro. He's a guy, he's a 2020 quarterback from Texas. He's actually a North Texas commitment. He's one that had the famous old town road cowboy edit <laughs> that certainly set Twitter on fire. I'm just interested to see, is this a second 2020 quarterback option for Florida state? Not a quarterback I'll throw in there. It's just a bonus. It's Shador Sanders, son of Dion, a.k.a. Prime. He's coming over. It's always good to get him on campus. He's very talented. I think the running back group is extremely important with Keziah Holmes showing up. Dejon Edwards from Colquitt County is another Pop one. Obviously, obviously, if Jalen Knighton shows up in that group, that that's a you know that's a major, major, major storyline for Florida State. Uh, I'm going to go a little more than three because I'm just that guy. O-line, Tom Strader, they need to get him on. You're already at five, Chris. They, yeah, so, so make it They six. need to get Thomas Strader on. Shut up, Sonone. <laughs> they need to get Strader on board officially. And Lloyd Willis, interested to watch him work out. He's an offensive tackle body type, 2020 class. We've talked about the D-linemen that are really important from the 2020 group coming in. I think Leonard Taylor in the 2021 class at that position is one of the best in the country. Very interested for him. 
Savell Smalls, linebacker, probably the most talented ranking-wise prospect coming in for this camp, important for him at the linebacker group. He's tailor-made to be a 3-4 speed rush and outside linebacker type. So if they are transitioning to more of that, he's perfect for that. And in a class where we keep looking for who's the next guy at that position, he's immensely important. Their secondary class for 2020 is pretty well wrapped up. Most of those guys are coming back. Again, most of the commitments on campus, which is important. But some really good 2021 DBs led by Corey Collier and Jason Marshall. Good friends from Miami Palmetto teammate Collier. So I have to see way to see. He's a guy that I have to see. I think if they really push real hard to move into the driver's seat, maybe get an early commitment. But, man, he's got everybody pursuing him. So it'll be interested to see. But like you said, we'll talk more about it later in this week. I promised Chris a 20-minute podcast. We gave you an hour. Chris promised three names, gave us about 15. Guys, this is On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. Chris, thanks for joining me. We'll have well a Josh Newberg-specific podcast coming up in the middle of the week, and then a Center Night Live uh, preview as well. So, yeah, uh, stay tuned. We're going to have a few different podcasts this week after being a little bit slower. Appreciate you guys for bearing with me and with us through a – uh, I guess a, a slower off season. So thank you. It's almost football season time. And, uh, and yeah, there's gonna be a lot of good stuff coming up. So for on the bench, I'm Brendan Sinone. Talk to you guys later this week.